A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is a podcast with the opinion that progressive politics has a lot to offer the modern world. I'm your host, Henna Shah, and this week I'm joined by my colleague Stefan Rolnick to talk about climate change. So this week, on the background to the Extinction Rebellion climate protests, a 16-year-old Swedish girl with Asperger's came to London to speak to our politicians about exactly how we save our planet from climate disaster. Chris Grayling, this girl, is not. In return, some right-wing commentators decided to mock her monotonal voice and accuse her of creating a climate cult of young people to wake up politicians. So, Stefan, for our listeners who don't know who this fantastic 16-year-old is, Greta Thunberg, can you let us know a little bit more about her? So, Greta Thunberg is amazing. She's been described by some people as a leader of a cult but her cult seems to be trying to get young people engaged with changing the world and saving the world. And so sign me up wherever possible. She's 16 years old. Like I said, she's a climate activist from Sweden. She was one of the first people to organize the school strikes, which have now, of course, spread across the world and to the UK. Um, she's spoken to the United Nations and she's spoken to politicians all around the world. You mentioned in your intro that she also has a form of autism, uh, Asperger's syndrome. Um, and she's spoken really, really interestingly about this. And she's described how being different is a gift and how it's made her a better activist. And she knows her history. She talks about how Rosa Parks was also an introvert and how, you know, everyone brings different skills to the table and being different for her has made her a better activist. And like you said, she did come to London to talk to us about climate change. And instead, Twitter talked about the sound of her voice, which was very disappointing. <laughs> I mean, classic Twitter, isn't it? You can't really... You can't really expect high-level analysis from the folks on Twitter. Unless but... you're on my Twitter feed. <laughs> Stop plugging your own Twitter feed. <laughs> Mine, by the way, is at Henishar94. <laughs> um, but before we talk about how Twitter maturely debated her visit, what did she actually say? So we haven't said this yet because we're kind of analysing, but just to obviously say, you know, climate change is real, um, you know, Jess, Jess Phillips's tweets aren't the only thing that is on fire. Our planet is literally on fire right now. And that was her message. By the way, Jess will be at Progress Annual Conference, which is on Saturday the 11th of May. Google it. Get your tickets now. They're selling like hot cakes, hot coal. I don't know. Very original. Then. Very original. <laughs> selling like hot melting icebergs. I'm not going to go with that. Um, 
so yeah, her message was the world is on fire, climate change is real, and essentially adults have failed us and stolen our future. And it is time for children to take to the streets and take matters into their own hands. And I know there's been a lot of debate about whether going on strike is a good idea. It seems mm. like she's decided and it's kind of hard to criticize this decision that the the scale of the challenge is so great that our response now needs to reflect that. She had some really interesting things to say. I mean, I've read her speech and if you can recommend to our listeners to go online and find a copy of her speech because it's, yeah. it's incredible. We'll right? make sure it's in the show notes, guys. Um, and one of the things I just wanted to pick out is, um, you know, how we think about this as labour activists. She said that growing up, adults had told her that her generation had everything we could ever wish for and yet now we may have nothing. Now we probably don't even have a future anymore because that future was sold so that a small number of people could make unimaginable amounts of money, which I think is about as concise, brilliant analysis as you'll get. <laughs> Someone give her a column in the New Statesman, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, so obviously we're here and we're a Labour podcast. How should we be making sense of her action and Extinction Rebellion and climate action more generally from our perspective as members of the Labour Party with our values? So like in that speech, she essentially gives us the answer to that question, that quote I just said, you know, climate change, obviously it's a really difficult issue because, um, and I know I like to drop this in every now and again, but I have a science background and the difficulty, you, <laughs> you get one free pop at that, you don't get to have another <laughs> one. Um, one of the real difficulties about climate change is that it is such a detailed, complicated scientific issue but its effects aren't complicated. They're very simple and they're catastrophic and they intersect with all different parts of our society. It's not just about ecology. It's essentially about fairness and securing the future of our planet, but also what it means to secure people's individual futures, whether they are struggling with to get jobs, they've got poor housing, they need to move, you know, they need to immigrate. Um, and, you know, that's one of the things that people talk about the Green New Deal. And obviously there's a lot of stuff that needs to be fleshed out one of the things that the Green New Deal gets spot on is that this is this issue intersects with loads of different areas of society. But specifically from a progress point of view, we're, we're, we as progressives, we define ourselves by our commitment to honesty about what we can get done. We commit ourselves to pragmatism. We believe that it's our duty in Parliament. You know, that was a decision that was made back when the Labour Party was founded that we were going to use the systems that existed to fundamentally rebalance our economy in the favor of people who didn't have who don't have power the problem is with climate change the science is really clear and you know greta spells this out really clearly for our politicians we can't tinker with this if we want to tinker with this you know through the systems that exist now that will be the difference between having this problem for our grandchildren or having this catastrophic problem for our great-grandchildren. And I think we're all agreed that that is not enough. And there is actually nothing pragmatic about not having a planet that exists. Yeah. Like this is the pragmatic thing to do here is to deal with this in a systematic way right now. There's a presidential candidate, I forget which one it was, who essentially when asked about setting an unrealistic timetable for dealing with climate change. So the timetable doesn't get set by us, it's set by the planet. And the deadline was about 20 years ago. <laughs> um but also, you know, if we're talking about 
things that are being debated within the Labour Party now when we talk about immigration. Mm. Obviously, I mean, there's theories that one of the reasons the Syrian civil war really got going was because of climate change, because people in rural areas, their crops failed and they moved into the city and that kind of played into that destabilisation. And like I said, you know, this intersects with so many different issues. And as the line between economic migrants and refugees begins to blur, one of the biggest issues of the next 10, 20, 100 years is mm. going to be freedom of movement. And that's obviously why yeah. us here at Progress are very keen on, you know, holding our party to the highest standards on this and, you know, not just sticking up for free movement, but talking about extending it beyond, yeah. you know, parts of Europe's borders and actually making sure we have a comprehensive plan to make sure that that migration isn't destabilizing because obviously you know, the impacts yeah. of that could be disastrous. And actually I have a few points to make on that. You'll be unsurprised to hear. I think the first one is what you said about climate change being a complex issue in terms of how it's caused, but having really clear um, simple results is very important. I don't think, I think one of the things about our movement and us as progressives within the Labour Party is that we've never shied away from tackling the more complex issues. We've never shied away from saying, oh, the NHS is under stress. How do we innovate to make it work in a more um, efficient way? Like we've never had that sort of urge as some others m might to offer really simple answers to really complicated questions. Okay, it's unjust that some people have to stay within their countries. Let's have totally open borders. We've never said that. We've said, okay, and completely as you've said, particularly as the sort of the line blurs between refugees and economic migrants. And especially so if you're from a country like Mauritius and, you know, your farm's flooded and you leave because you don't have anywhere to live, are you then a refugee or are you an economic migrant? And actually we need to think about that in a really clear and systematic way in order to make sure that we are as fair and as in internationalist really as our values say we should be. Yeah, and I guess it's, you know, by we acknowledge the seriousness and the importance of the issue by properly considering and thinking out what our answer is to that question. I think... You know, the example of the farmer from Mauritius, I was, you know, um, listening to a podcast the other day about the idea of open borders. And I mean, we, we, there is nothing wrong with starting the conversation from there and then talking about realistically, what does that look like? There's mm. a big difference between mm. that and just, you know, trying to distill our policy down into two words and having no detail after that. But there are some really interesting arguments for open borders. There is the argument that actually having closed borders means that people move to the United Kingdom then become fearful that this is their only opportunity to stay in the United Kingdom. And they actually stay for longer or permanently. And by having a more porous border, um, you allow people to, um, you know, when they decided that they think they're okay to go back home, they can go back home and they know that if they need to, they can come back afterwards. I think it's definitely worth having the conversation. And I think particularly when we talk about climate change and we see um, I've had lots of discussions with lots of people inside and outside politics about Extinction Rebellion in particular and some of the actions that they've been taking. Um, and, you know, you get lots of sort of disgruntled commuters and stuff like that. And actually, to me, so that form of direct action isn't necessarily something that lots of people who share my politics have traditionally done, and that's absolutely fine. But also I think I was having a conversation with someone the other day and they said something really um, clear to me about... Uh, social change and what it means to be a 
progressive, I think it might have been Alison, um, that I won't, don't quote me on that. Um, and she essentially said, um, legislation is a necessary but not sufficient means of change. And in like that sort of like nerd logic talk, but essentially what that means is we need to change the law but changing the law is not enough to actually make the changes that we need. And so we need to understand that, yes, we might not like it and it might not necessarily be the way that we choose to agitate, but groups who do direct action and the third sector and volunteering and campaigning, even when we're not in power, all has a valuable role to play in sort of shifting that needle. Uh, and we need to remember that. And that's part of the reason why this podcast exists. If you have a friend who would also like to shift the dial, uh, Please share it. We love to have more listeners uh, and subscribe, rate, review. I mean, we don't need them, but you know, yeah. If, if we want to have yeah, some more, yeah. we wouldn't say no. Um, no, I completely agree. And like as usual, there is a distinction that people on Twitter have failed to make. Of course, <laughs> who, who really? saw that coming? What um, a surprise! But the legitimate questions about, for example, this kind of direct action that was taken in London, there are legitimate questions to be asked about what impact that has on people. For example with accessibility issues, right? There mm -hmm. are legitimate questions about to what extent, you know, annoying loads of commu commuters furthers our case or actually hinders it. Those are legitimate questions. What I worry about, and you know, you know it's really easy to take, take the mick out of, you know, eccentric people dancing around with, you know, you know braids in their hair or whatever, and we, we can all do that. But what I really worry about is that people will look back on this time in history and the people who, when faced with a massive climate disaster, mm -hmm. were busy taking the mick out of people dancing around in circles on Twitter, you know, we're, we're not going to look that great. We should we should actually be giving credit to the young organisers like Greta, who have managed to turn yeah, this many people out in all these different innovative ways. All yeah. I'd say is, you know, there's always been idiots yeah. on the right side of history. That is not something new. You don't need to endorse, you know, specific people to acknowledge that, like, people have done a really good job with this. But, yeah, you know, or, or that the principle and the values are worth supporting in whatever way you can yeah i completely yeah. agree so i guess if people do want to do something Stefan, what can they do well another plug they can come to progress annual conference which like you said is on saturday the 11th of may at tuc congress house is that right yes in london um i mean you can for example i think you know when it comes to candidate selection i think like members are perfectly entitled to vet their candidates and see, um, you know, where do they stand on climate change? How seriously should like, how seriously do they take it? Um, you can go to climatecoalition.org and you can email your MP, but really, you know, like we've said, these are systemic changes that really need to be made. And I think the thing that Greta highlighted, you know, while taking action, people deciding to take action into their own hands is important. These are like systemic changes that our politicians have frankly failed to do, um, and like she said, you know, they had the opportunity to tinker with the system and solve the problem, but they haven't taken it. And now that option, you know, to borrow a phrase, is not on the table. Um, <laughs> Where is the table? <laughs> the table's burning. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so, you know, we should all do what we can, but we should also be clear that actually we need to be putting pressure on, you know, those folks in Westminster, as with many of these issues. Ah, oh, classic. Um, well, keep campaigning. Uh, have a look at the show notes for Greta's speech and that link to climatecoalition.org. Uh, buy your tickets for Progress Annual Conference and we'll see you on Tuesday, won't we, Stefan? And stock up on tinned food supplies just in case. <laughs> don't do that. We don't <laughs> want to run on tinned beans. Yeah, see you soon. Bye.
You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast. The music was One in the West by Blue Dot Sessions, licensed under Creative Commons, and many thanks for our fantastic and long-suffering producer, Caroline Crampton. (laughs) 